A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 141 of Confessions of a Marketer, Marketing Rebellion. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Mark Schaefer is in to talk about his new book, Marketing Rebellion, along with consumer trends, customer loyalty, and viral marketing. Coming soon, Catherine Hayes, speaker, advisor, co-host of CMO Spotlight on Sirius XM Business Radio and author of Beyond Advertising will be in. Shay Robottom will join us for a discussion on content, LinkedIn, and video. Cassania Montan will be in to chat about her manifesto on content marketing teams. And we've got lots more in store. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. All right, on to Mark Schaefer. Mark has a new book out, Marketing Rebellion. It's a manifesto of sorts about the rate of change in this world. In part one of our discussion, we talk about Mark's notion that certain cataclysmic consumer trends are a predictable result of a revolution that started 100 years ago. And we find out about human impressions versus advertising impressions. So let's get to it. Mark, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. I'm delighted to be here, fellow Mark. Yeah, it's always good to have a namesake on. It Mm -hmm. confuses the editor when I give it to him, (laughs) but it's fun. Let them be confused. (laughs) Can you share your background a bit and what you're up to these days? My background really is corporate B2B marketing. I worked in the corporate world for a Fortune 100 company for a long time and started my own business about 11 years ago now a little bit more than 11 years, really started consulting. And I was sort of in the right place at the right time because I found my voice on social media and specifically with blogging. I think I sort of had a refreshing point of view. I didn't have an agenda. I wasn't trying to sell people on anything. So I kind of told the truth from my experience. It took off from there. So the blogging led to books. I've written eight books. Wow. I also teach it. Rutgers University in their graduate department. Do that a couple times a year at least. I'm a speaker, so that's a big part of my business these days. And I still do a lot of consulting with big brands. Can you walk me back 11 years ago? I remember 11 years ago. It was 2008, the fall of 2008. Mm -hmm. 
early winter of 2008 and the economy was falling through the floor. I know that I was one of those people in January of 2009 that lost my job along with 700,000 others. Mm-hmm. What was it like starting a business in that climate? It was interesting. I, I guess I didn't know we were falling off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you don't know until you are. Yeah. I mean, there are probably some warning signs going on at that time, but I chose a path. My first idea for a business worked out fine. I sort of morphed because I didn't like what I was doing. My original idea, which I had tested and found a good business around, was sort of being the interface between marketing and web developers. I mean, back then, before the days when websites were easy, creating a website was a very involved, detailed, technical, confusing process. Oh, I've been there. And what I saw over and over again was that the marketing departments would say, these IT people, they can't give us what we want. And the IT people would say, these marketing people, they can't tell us what they want. (laughs) And they expect us to be the marketing department and dream this stuff up and we can't do it. So for a long time in my corporate life, I had straddled those worlds. I could speak both languages. And I thought that is where I'm going to fit. And I did. And my business was great, but some of these projects, they just went on forever. And I had a few customers who sort of took advantage of me and I got disheartened. And so I pivoted a bit and in some ways, maybe the pivot came to me because as I blogged, I found that I had a global audience out there who was interested in what I had to say. So that opened up a lot of new doors to help me change my business and get into something a lot more rewarding. You've written eight books, Mm -hmm. and the one we're going to talk about today, we can talk about any of the books, but the one that we're going to talk about today is Marketing Rebellion, which I look at as something of a manifesto about the rate of change in this world. Can you share the central thesis? And maybe I'm not on target with my analysis. No, you absolutely are. I don't have a plan to write books. I don't have a strategy to say every other year I'm going to write a book. It's such a big commitment, and it's such just an all-in kind of exhausting effort that I've got to be really sure that I'm doing the right thing. And when I have an idea for a book, it usually is led by some question or some problem that I see that I can't figure out. And I go down the rabbit hole and try to figure it out. And when I do, it becomes a helpful book. And the problem I saw this time, Mark, was everywhere I went in the world, people would tell me, I feel stuck. I feel overwhelmed. Our marketing just doesn't seem to work like it used to. And I heard this so consistently everywhere at every size company and nonprofits and universities. I thought, well, why are these people feeling so stuck? What's going on with the marketing world? If I could maybe dig into this, there might be a problem to solve. And my original hypothesis was that technology was moving so fast that people were feeling overwhelmed and they just always feeling left behind in some ways. And to some extent, that is certainly true. But when I started digging into the research, I found something something else, something that was so profound that it made me wonder what it meant to be a marketer these days. And what I found is that consumers, our customers, have moved away from us in a dramatic way. And we've sort of had our heads down doing marketing in a certain way. 
and these hyper-empowered, technology-enabled, sophisticated consumers with the accumulated knowledge of the human race in the palm of their hand, they want something else. They expect something else and something better from marketers today. And while marketers have done a good job sort of iterating and going digital and changing a little year to year, we require something else to thrive and survive. We need a quantum leap back toward where the customers are today. And that's what the book is about. The first part of the book sort of sets the stage, and it's not my view of the world. It's all based on very good research, take it to the bank sort of research to illustrate the problem. And then I spend the rest of the book talking about, okay, what do we do? How do we reconnect with consumers? The book is really done well. It's been very well reviewed. It's been very well accepted. I thought it could be a controversial book. I actually had some trepidation publishing a book like this because it is kind of controversial. It is unfamiliar territory for a lot of people, but the reaction from most marketers has been, you know, Mark, I've seen this happening. I could feel this happening. I know it's out there. You just put a name to it and liberated us to do what we knew we needed to do. You'd have to be Tom Hanks living on a desert island for five or six years not to understand that the world has been changing at a rapid rate, though. And maybe it's controversial, but it is something that people recognize when they get presented with it. That's very, very true. And one of the main ideas of the book is the traditional ways that we've gone to market and advertised and used public relations with consumers really doesn't work anymore. People don't see ads like they used to. They don't believe ads like they used to. And when I speak to groups who are primarily made up of advertising people, this can be kind of awkward. (laughs) And sometimes they sort of cross their arms and scowl a little bit, but then at some point it dawns on them as they think about how they work in the world, how they consume goods. One of the major ideas in the book is that two-thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. And when you step back and think, yeah, that is how it works. And then the new idea is how do we get invited to that two-thirds. That's where all the action's taking place. You can't buy your way in like you used to. You've got to be asked to join and come alongside customers. And that's the main, I guess, rallying call of the book. That is confirmed by my chats with people like Mel Edwards, who's the global CEO of Wonderman Thompson, and all of WPP and these big advertising conglomerates are morphing themselves ahead of what could be their demise. Yeah. And I don't think you're going to see them go out of business, but they know that their business has changed. And at Wonderman Thompson, I talked with Mel Edwards a couple of days ago, and she tells me, you know, they're moving into consulting because they see McKinsey and their ilk moving into advertising. That's exactly right. Yep. To think, you know, back 30 or 40 years ago that a company like McKinsey or some of these big six accounting firms would be becoming interested in the advertising world, it would be like, what, really? The world is changing. Well, it's changing. And, you know, I don't know if a lot of these big firms are going to be able to pivot. I mean, that's been part of the problem is that, well, let me tell you a little story. I was working with a big pharma brand and this brand manager told me, I'm trying to create different sorts of marketing strategies. I want to have a different sort of human presence on the web. And 
every proposal I ask our global advertising agency for, it comes back as an ad. That's the only thing they know how to do. And we have this dance where it's familiar, you know? These are our friends and we like to go out to dinner with them. And we like to celebrate when we sign our contract every couple of years. And it's hard to make that transition. There's emotional connections. There's strategic connections. There's just cultural connections. It's familiar. But we've got to make dramatic changes. I see the outfall of this at Rutgers. Rutgers is a New York City area university. And I teach in this graduate program. And a lot of people from these ad agencies are coming back to school because they're having massive layoffs as they go through this transition. So there's always going to be a place for advertising, but certainly we're in a cataclysmic state right now. Yeah. So let's use that word again, cataclysm. So you note that there are certain cataclysmic consumer trends that are the predictable result of a revolution that started 100 years ago. So walk me through that revolution and what the effects are today. What we've seen over time is that when marketers and advertisers start to take advantage of consumers, they fight back and they always win. Eventually, they always win. So in the early days of marketing and advertising, an advertisement was a remarkable promise. And as the competition heated up, these advertisements and these remarkable promises became more and more remarkable until they were lies. We can remember some of the claims around cigarettes, for example, being good for your health and soothing to your throat. The T-zone. Yeah. The consumers had enough. And that's where we got the legislation that created the FTC and the FDA. And it became a criminal act to lie to consumers. And then the second rebellion really occurred with the advent of the internet. And I was right in the middle of those days. And I can remember how terrifying it was because Now, as the internet started to mature, all the information that we had in our companies and had in our government started to migrate to the consumers. And we used to make money on what consumers didn't know. We made money on the secrets. That's how you sold insurance. That's how you sold vacation plans. That's how you sold cars. And as this consumer rebellion started to take hold, I mean, it was terrifying. I can remember thinking, how in the world are we going to survive when consumers know more about what we do than we do? (laughs) Right. And yet we made it through this transition. And again, the consumers rebelled, they exerted their will, and they won. Where we are today is you look at marketing, and really it's become more about technology and really abusing and annoying people with technology and interrupting them and taking advantage of their privacy, taking advantage of their time, taking advantage of their patience with something stupid like robocalls or spam or piles of direct mail that they don't want. And so the consumers have had enough and they're finding ways to block us. And I thought one of the most poignant things, Mark, that came out of my research is that the first television remote was created in 1950. It was this wire that connected to this little box that went to the back of a television. So as soon as there were ads, people found ways to block them. Today, there are 600 million smart devices in the world that have ad blocking on it. 
And the advertising industry's response is, oh, we got to find a way to get around this and show them more ads, which is the dumbest thing to do. We've got to take a new view. We have got to stop annoying and abusing and bombarding customers and find a way to connect to them on their terms or we will lose. And that's really what I lay out in the book. And consumers have found a way around most things, especially in the internet age, review sites. Obviously, there are bots and so forth that can fill out those reviews. But if you're a local restaurant and you don't have a presence online and you don't monitor the reviews and respond to them and thank people, you're in real trouble these days. Right. And, you know, I think we're starting to move into a more enlightened era. When you and I were starting our consulting businesses, I'm sure you faced the same thing I did, where there were endless debates about what's the ROI of this tweet? What's the ROI of this blog post? And I hope in most cases we move beyond that to think about it's not just ROI, it's about relevance. What's the ROI of bankrupt? If you don't have a significant and meaningful digital presence, you're invisible. Can you tell me the difference between human impressions and advertising impressions? I think they're conflated in most people's heads, but can you clear that up? If you think about most of the brands, most of the iconic brands, Pampers and Tide and Crest and the cereal brands and Coca-Cola and Pepsi, they were built through advertising. And great marketing is about building some sort of emotional connection between you and your consumer. And really, the only avenue we had was ads. And we controlled the message. We controlled the customer journey because they didn't have any choice. Today, consumers are in control. We are not in control of the customer journey in real life or online. Last year, Google came out with a series of white papers that said, look, the customer journey is over. There isn't any traceable customer journey even for people searching for the same things online. They're coming from different places. They're going to different places. It's a tangled mess. So this third rebellion is about giving up control. The customer is the marketer. And what the customers really care about today is going back to this human connection. There was this very wonderful piece of research done by McKinsey. It's a study actually they've been doing for over 10 years now. And they've dissected about 200,000 customer journeys and came to this conclusion that the customer is the marketer. Marketers really aren't in control. They're not even really seeing much evidence of marketing in the customer decision. Loyalty is in decline. And there was a clue in the research. And they said the reason that all this is slipping away is because there's a lack of emotion in the marketing, that marketers have become preoccupied with the MarTech stack, with algorithms and with automation and with personas instead of human connection. And I think that's true. I think that's the big reason. Consumers want to connect with real people. So that's what I talk about in terms of human impressions. A lot of decisions are made today based on what they know about the people in the company. It's a lot of the consumerism has moved local. It's moved artisanal. It's moved to family-owned businesses. It's supporting a gig economy. And I think that increasingly the personal brand is the brand. 
this is not a scientific observation, but I think some of the brand equity of Tesla and the reason that a relatively new company like Tesla has greater market value than Ford Motor Company is because of Elon Musk. He's a real person. He's not a perfect person, but he's a real person and he's authentic and he makes mistakes and he sometimes frustrates a lot of people. But he's also beloved. He's one of the greatest innovators and entrepreneurs of our generation. He's a very inspiring guy. Who do you love at Ford? Who do you love at Verizon? And I think you look at, you know, someone like Richard Branson, someone like Steve Jobs. Yeah. The personal brand is the brand. And that's why in many cases, I think small to medium sized businesses have an advantage in this environment. In many cases, because they are the company, they are the brand, they are connecting, they do know their customers. And as I was researching the book, I did an interview with a researcher in New York who was looking into this. And I said, how are some of these big companies going to connect to this trend? How are they going to change it? She looked at me and she said, I don't know. I mean, one of the ways they're doing it is by buying up the smaller companies. We're seeing that, you know, all over the place. They're trying to co-opt that kind of feeling that people get when they connect with a brand. We'll see how it goes. I mean, Procter & Gamble is, for example, they're hemorrhaging market share. So they're buying up some of these smaller artisanal brands. I mean, there was one story I can't really name the company, but they bought this sort of local brand. It was a huge company building this local brand. As soon as they bought it, they started bringing that company into their fold, changing all their systems. And the guy who used to lead this small company said, they don't understand. They're moving us into their distribution system. And the thing that built our brand was we had our own personal distribution system these people sell to their friends. They're completely missing that amazing human connection. They love us. They love the brand. They stock our product because of these long relationships. And boom, overnight, they're getting rid of all that and they're going to destroy the brand. It's the Dollar Shave Club thing, isn't it? You become loyal to a kind of niche brand like that, and then it gets bought by a huge company. We're going to see a lot of that. And, and hopefully, some of the big companies are starting to see the writing on the wall and they've just got to leave them alone. <laughs> yeah, buy them, sure, but let them run like they run. All right, next time, Mark Schaefer is back to continue our discussion as we focus on customer loyalty dying and what marketers can do about it, plus viral marketing. So stay tuned. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time.